Spirit of the living God, um, seal in us your word of truth, the gospel of salvation, so that we can faithfully follow and joyfully serve our Lord Jesus Christ. For in his name, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, we're in a series that's really about community and strengthening community. Um, the teaching team gathered over Zoom to talk about, you know, what, what do we want a summer series to look like? And with the division that we've seen in our country over the last year, um, along political lines and thoughts on social justice and vaccines and uh, just a number, it keeps going on and on. Um, just seeing all the division out there, we felt like it was a good time to talk about unity and how we're unified in Christ. In the first week, two weeks ago, we talked about a passage out of uh, Ephesians, and uh, the central statement, uh, Paul's central sort of thesis statement for Ephesians, as he writes to the church in Ephesus, uh, is found in Ephesians 1, 9, and 10. It says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. All right, so here it is. Here's the plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. Now, one of the things we, I mentioned two weeks ago is that this is the central piece. He's talking about this big mystery that's being revealed. And a lot of what's mentioned there is, is well, there's, let me put it this way. There's a lot of things missing that we usually hear tied to the gospel about eternal life, and heaven, and hell, and, the, you know, where people are going. And uh, this is it. This is the central statement for this book. Now, the other stuff you can find in other parts of the Bible, for sure. But it's important to realize that in this letter, as Paul presents the gospel, the way he presents it is the reconciling of all things in heaven and on earth. And then he goes on to explain what that means. And specifically in this letter to the Ephesians, it's the uniting of diverse ethnic groups in Jesus. And he often talks about we Jews, we Christian Jews, we Jews in the first chapter, and then he switches and talks about you Gentiles in the second chapter. And we talked about how this is the uniting of uh, these people groups, these diverse groups that shared a lot of hostility, which is also mentioned in that passage, that we are united in Jesus. And um, that's a very... So, I guess... What we need to hear this morning is that if we don't take that seriously, we're not taking the gospel seriously. If we don't take this idea that we are unified, uh, regardless of our skin color, or the language that we, uh, our, our native tongue, um, customs, all those things, if we don't take that seriously, then we're not taking the gospel seriously. Because Paul is taking it very seriously in this book uh, written to the church in Ephesus. So that's a very, it's a very theological um, starting point. And in typical Paul fashion, now he's going to move into what does that mean 
practically. In theological terms, we'd say he's starting with orthodoxy, right thinking about the gospel, and now he's going to work into orthopraxy. How do we live it out? Okay, so this is sort of a two-part foundation as we move into um, this book and this passage this morning. Um, Before we get there, I wanted to share uh, an experience I had where I was convicted about this issue, about division. Um, and I'm pulling this again from the retreat. I've, like every week, I got illustrations from this retreat. Um, <clears throat> on the first full day of this retreat I took in May, uh, there's about 20 pastors there from all different kinds of churches. Uh, in fact, what was great is I didn't really know what kind of churches they were from. It didn't really matter. Uh, we were all Christians. Um, some were big churches, some were small. I think, I think we were on the small end. There are a couple others about the size of, of North Harbor. Um, I think the building we meet in could fit on the stage of some of these other ch- you know, uh, churches that were represented there. And on that first day, I'm talking after lunch, uh, after breakfast, with this guy named Craig, Craig Johnson. And we just start talking. Um, <clears throat> and I, you know, I, don't, I don't really like being in situations where I don't know people. I feel a bit... Uh, uh, I just become a bit more reticent and quiet, um, but I felt very comfortable with this guy, Craig. I felt comfortable with everyone there, but we just started talking, and I swear we were sitting at that table for three hours after breakfast just talking, um, and the story, swapping stories, asking about each other's churches, and he's telling me about his church that he works at, and uh, the people he works with, the pastor he works with, and his prior ministry experience before uh, winding up in this church in Texas, and uh, it was a blast. And a lot of what he, he talked to me about um, uh, was his son who has autism and, and finding out that his son has autism, and then um, this crisis of faith revolving around how are we going to pay for all this? How are we going to pay for the doctor's bills and the, and the special schools that, uh, that he has to go to? And He's getting stressed out, and he, he's he's feeling he's he's struggling with faith, and he's he's fe- you know feelings of trying to provide for his family, and will he be able to do that? And feelings of shame that go along with that if he can't do that. Um, <clears throat> so then, not long after that, uh, just a couple days after finding out the diagnosis, uh, he gets a call from his pastor, who's a good friend of his, and uh, Craig's job is to pastor the pastors at this church, okay? Um, so, it's, so it's a sizable church. Um, <clears throat> and the pastor calls him, says, Craig, I, we just heard, uh, tell us what's going on, and he, Craig gives him the update. And he says, pastor says, listen, I want you to know that uh, you're not going to have to worry anything about the cost here. Uh, we'll take care of it. We're going to take care of it. And so he's telling me the story, and, I, and I'm getting confused at this point. I'm just like, what, what does he mean, we'll take care of it? Does that mean the church is going to go on some sort of uh, health plan at the church? Or what does he mean? He said, no. He, what he meant was he and his wife will take care of all the bills that are associated um, with, with his son's care. And I'm like, wow, that's incredible. And then I start to piece together all these stories he's been telling me, and I realize that his pastor who's a good friend of his, is Joel Olstein, And he works on staff at Lakewood. He is the chief of staff at Lakewood. And he gets this call 
from his pastor, Joel Steen, says, we'll take care of it. Now, that was years ago. So I think this is probably hundreds of thousands of dollars back in the past. Okay. Now, as we move forward, I'm blown away and then begin to piece together how Craig is getting tickets to Dallas Cowboys games and things like that. <laughs> um, and I begin to realize <laughs> that I had an attitude about Mr. Joel Olstein, that I had uh, felt like uh, whatever ministry he had um, wasn't quite legit based on his theology. And then I began to realize that I'd never really read any books. I've never heard any messages. I've never talked to the guy myself. All I've got is his chief of staff sitting next to me, who is one of the most down-to-earth, humble people I've ever met. And um, I, I told him, I said, you know, I, Craig, I feel like uh, I've kind of passed judgment on Joel, all these stories you've been telling me, and you've been telling me all these stories about this pastor you work with, and I just didn't make the connection that, uh, you know, I've... I was, I've been in the wrong about how I've approached thinking about this person and the ministry. So Craig works at the Astrodome, right? Okay, that's where their church meets. I don't know what it's called now. It's tied to some bank or something. But um, that's where they meet for church. Like I said, we could probably fit two of these on their stage or inside. And then I start hearing other people talk about, yeah, they brought in Joel to speak at this conference. And I'm telling you, I went in with this attitude and I was totally humbled in the process because this is one of the nicest, down-to-earth, humble, loving people I've ever met in my life. And, and Craig was very gracious. He said, we get that a lot. And, um, you know, perhaps part of his ministry is trying to shed the misinformation. Um, but it was, a, it was at a point where I had judged this ministry. And... Just feeling like they're out, we're in. There's something out about the way they do it, and there's something in about the way we do it. And Paul's going to address that a bit out here. That we all have different gifts, we all have different callings. And uh, I, I talked to the Reyes the other day, so, uh, uh, Zoe and Manny. And uh, of course, Zoe's from Houston. And she, I told her that story. She said, Oh, yeah. They're known for doing a, one, you know, a whole bunch of great things in the community. I was like, oh, thank you for putting the other dagger <laughs> in my conscience. Uh, <clears throat> but there was a judgment about the gifts and the abilities that they have and the approach that they have versus what we have. And Paul's going to touch on that um, this morning. So a Jesus community is, uh, oh, I didn't, change, I didn't change the title. Jesus said some two weeks ago. Jesus' community is a reconciled community, but it's a community that trusts in the gifts and the limits of each other. It's a trusting community. So we're going to jump into chapter 4. And at chapter after this incredible prayer in chapter 3, Paul starts to get practical in what does this diverse, reconciled community, how does it function towards one another? And he says, Therefore, I, prisoner for serving the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And this idea of uh, lead a life is uh, live out your life, the way you conduct your life, the way you go about business with one another, very practical, down-to-earth, how you treat one another. 
And so what does a calling look like? And he goes on to talk about that. What does walking worthy of that calling mean in Paul's eyes? He says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient and kind. Uh, patient with you, I'm sorry. Be patient with each other. Make, I love this phrase. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Now, in that culture, which is probably similar in many ways to our culture, these are not things that are highly sought after. These are not values or virtues that you would aspire to. What Paul is saying, these are the kind of things that you would have a slave be. Gentle. Uh, so a slave is to be seen and not heard. Uh, someone out of the way, keep your head down, do your job, don't talk back, get it done, and then get out of the way. Um, in that culture, in the Greek world in that day, these are the kind of things you would expect out of a slave. Being humble, being gentle, being patiently so the patience. I saw this definition of patience, and I have to read it. Cautious endurance that does not abandon hope. A cautious endurance that does not abandon hope. But making allowance for each other because of your love. And so as he's writing to this crew, this, this church out there, he's like, this is the way we are supposed to react. This is the way we, we live out our faith. This is what worthy of your high calling. This is what wor is worthy of all that heavy theology, the first three chapters. That's what it looks like in practical terms, that we are humble. And I realized in that conversation with Craig that I wasn't humble <laughs> at all towards this ministry. I was judgmental, making allowance for one another. And then he goes on and he says, uh, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one glorious hope for the future. And then he goes into this poem or song. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. So the whole idea is how do we live to keep this unity together? And then he goes on. Unless we think that we should all look the same, he throws in this little curveball and says, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. So now he's saying we live with patience and humility towards one another. Let's all do this together. Let's make allowance for one another. But he recognizes that we're all different. Everyone's got a special gift. Everyone's a little bit different. And here we see what unity really looks like, is that we are different, but we can still walk in the same direction. And he's going to start to flesh out what that means. He goes in to quote some scripture. I'm going to skip over that, and we're going to jump down to verse 11. He says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. So apostles are people that are sent out to bring this message. Prophets uh, speak truth, and typically when you think of uh, uh, prophets in the Hebrew Bible, they are people that are kind of within the system, that speak truth to the system. <clears throat> uh, 
evangelist sharing that uh, gospel message with people for the first time maybe, and pastors and teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So ministry is something that we do, not just pastors and teachers. We are, our job is to equip. Part of that equipping is taking a passage and let's break it open and see what Paul is saying here. Challenge us to think about it maybe in a different way. Um, <clears throat> shaping a new vision and tweaking the vision and the ministry of the church post-pandemic. Those are the kind of things that we do to equip the body so that we can work together. <clears throat> I don't think that this list is exhaustive. I've seen some, per, you know, like they're kind of like personality profiles, except they're spiritual gift profiles, and they act like sometimes that everything mentioned in uh, Ephesians and Romans, and uh, I think Peter has a list like this, um, that that's some sort of exhaustive list. I don't think that that's what Paul is saying here. I think that what he's saying is that we all have a gift that is for the equipping of the church. And so it's interesting because the, equi the equipping of the church is, is these gifts that God gives us are not from our, our own benefit and our own edification. They are for the edification of others. And if we all do that together, then we are edified in the process ourselves. <clears throat> their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard or stature of Christ. So this sort of equipping, leading, teaching, evangelists, sending out the word, uh, administrators, uh, teaching, pastoring, all these sort of things are going to continue until we're not like children anymore, until we're mature. And what he's basically saying is that this life where we live in division, where we live in judgment like I was doing, is very childlike. That is not what a mature church looks like. <clears throat> and a mature church, he speaks of as a person. But it's one person. It's all of us together as one person. As the person of Christ. Filling up Christ. <clears throat> he says, then we will be, no longer be immature like children. Verse 14. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. And I read that and I thought, this is what the last year has felt like. Being blown around. And I can understand it outside the church, but unfortunately we see it in the church as well. And in between churches. Just like the judgment I had last month few months ago. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of this new body, 
the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, we've heard, many of us have heard this passage before. So I'm going to move beyond it. I didn't go too deep into this. I want to move on to something else, a story I heard. But I love this right here. Each does its own special work. The crass 21st century way to put it is stay in your lane. (laughs) Everyone has their own work to do. But we try to do everyone else's work. Right? Because proficiency and efficiency are very held high in our culture. And there's a bit of shame if we're not good at something. And so we feel like we've got to be good at everything. And we've got to criticize what other people do. Everyone has their own special work. So I want to read... <coughs> I want to read a fable I read this morning. Or not this morning, this week. Earlier this week. Uh, this came from a guy named Friedman. Friedman's Fables? I don't know. It's adapted from that. It says, Once upon a time, there lived a man who had given a great deal of thought and effort to determine what he wanted from life. <clears throat> One day, a door opened for him to actually live his dream. But the opportunity would be available only for a short time, and he would have to embark on a long journey. He began walking and grew more and more excited as he envisioned his future dream becoming a reality. As he hurried along, however, he came to a bridge high above a dangerous, rapidly flowing river. As he started across the bridge, he noticed a stranger approaching him from the opposite direction. The man had a rope wrapped many times around his waist. The rope looked like it might stretch to a length of at least 30 feet. The stranger began to unwrap the rope as he walked. Just as the two men were about to meet, the stranger said, Pardon me, sir, would you be so kind as to hold the end of the rope for me? Without thinking, almost instinctively, the man reached out, took the rope. Thank you, said the stranger. Then he added, Two hands, and remember to hold tight. At this point, the stranger jumped off the bridge. The strong pull from the now extended rope was so strong, it almost dragged the man over the side of the bridge into the treacherous water below. He shouted over the railing, What are you trying to do? Just hold on tight, the stranger called back. This is ridiculous, the man thought. He began trying to haul the stranger up. But the task was beyond his strength. Why did you do this? He yelled in frustration over the edge. Remember, said the stranger, if you let go, I will die. But I cannot pull you up, the man cried. I am your responsibility, said the stranger. I did not ask for it, the man said. If you let go, I am lost, repeated the stranger. The man began to look around for help, but no one was within sight. He began to think about his predicament. Here he was, eagerly pursuing a unique opportunity to fulfill his dream, and now he was being sidetracked for who knows how long. Maybe I can tie the rope somewhere, he thought. He examined the bridge carefully, but there was no way to get rid of his newfound burden. Again, he yelled over the bridge, What do you want? Just your help, came the answer. How could I help? I cannot pull you in. There's no place to tie the rope while I find someone else to help you. Just keep on hanging on, replied the stranger. 
My life is in your hands. The man was stumped. If I let go, all my life will always, I'll always regret letting the stranger die. If I stay, I will never reach my dreams or destiny. Either way, this will haunt me forever. Time passed. Still no one came. The man became keenly aware that it was almost too late to resume his journey. If he didn't leave immediately, he, would arrive, he wouldn't arrive on time. Finally, a new idea came to him. Listen, he explained to the man hanging below. I think I know how to save you. He could not pull the stranger up solely on his own efforts, but the stranger could shorten the rope by wrapping it around his waist again and again. Together they could do it. But the dangling man had no interest. You mean you won't help? He shouted to the stranger. I can't hold on much longer. If you don't, I will die, came the reply. At this moment, a revelation came to the man on the bridge, an idea that until this moment he would have never considered. Listen carefully, the man said. I mean what I'm about to say. The dangling stranger looked up, hopeless and despondent. I will not accept the position of choice for your life. Only for my own, the man said. From this moment on, I give you the power of choice for your own life. I give that choice back to you. What do you mean, the stranger asked, clearly afraid. I mean, simply, it's up to you. You decide your future. I will be the counterweight. You do the pulling and bring yourself up. I will tug some from here. The man unwound the rope from his waist and braced himself to be a counterweight. You cannot mean what you say, the stranger shrieked. You would not be so selfish. I am your responsibility. What could be so important that you'd let me die? After a long silence, the man on the bridge said slowly, I accept your choice. He let go of the rope and continued on his journey. Now, I think the obvious uh, application is that the needs of others can sideline us. And I think in the church we have a hard time with this because there's values of mercy and justice and all that sort of thing. And that's, we could do a sermon on that some other time. But what I wanted to point out is that the guy had a calling. He had a certain direction in his life. And this is a fable. I don't know if it's a Christian fable. But in the Christian sense, there's a calling from God. God has empowered us. God has gifted us. And there are certain limits that come with that. And this is a story, it's a fable about limits. And who's the man's limits and what he can do and what he can't do. And the stranger's limits. What he should be doing and can't do or doesn't feel like he can do. Um, for a while the guy holding the rope isn't respecting his own limits he's got a calling in this passage Paul says you are all gifted and so when it comes to division in the church and being unified there's something to be said for respecting the giftedness of others. And that while Will may have a different gift, and Bill may have a different gift, and Kiva may have a different gift, I need to respect those and not try to encroach, not try to do what I am not gifted to do. And by the same token, 
I think this is true in the church as well, that we are gifted in certain ways and that we hold back. That God has called us to something and we have allowed ourselves to get sidelined by other needs in the church that other people can take care of. And part of it is the fear of really living into the gifts that we have. Of really trusting that God will be with us. I think we get scared of the power of the Spirit working in our lives. That we allow ourselves to get sidetracked. We allow ourselves to start holding ropes that other people should be holding. And this idea of limits is core. (laughs) It's core to the human condition. Because that's what God says early on in the book of Genesis. That there are limits. There's two trees here. This one's going to lead to death and this one's going to lead to life. And we read that and we... Always look at the limits on what we, we shouldn't be doing or what we can't be doing. But what about how we limit ourselves in not eating from the tree of life? That there's so much there. That if we live into that gifting and we allow others to live into their gifting and trust one another, that that is a body that is unified. Because none of us have the supply to save the world. Right? We don't have that on our own. And that's why God creates a body of various gifted people. Some as administrators, some as teachers, some with wisdom, some who are wealthy, some who are poor. What does the Bible teach? Those who are wealthy give more. Those who are less wealthy give less. The story I started out with. It's a great example of that. Some are Republicans. Some are Democrats. Some think very practically. Some are very bookish. And if we're allowed, if we allow others to live into their gifts instead of trying to take their rope for them, then people can be saved, and the world can heal. That's the way God designed it. It's for us to live into ours. Now, I have one caveat to that. It's not wrong to do things outside of your gifting. That's okay. Uh, I sometimes hear it the opposite. When asked to do something, people can use gifting as sort of a cop-out because they don't want to have to do something. I'm not gifted at that. No, it's okay. But it's important to understand where we are gifted and where God is calling us so that we can fully live into that. And at times, when we're called to do other things, that's fine. But if it's going to deter us, then we need to let that rope go. And trust that there is someone else gifted to haul this guy up. (laughs) Someone out there has that gift. Does that make sense? So I thought about this. I thought we could put the gifted community, and that tells us who we are. I like trusting better because it shows us what we need to do. We are a reconciled community that trusts the giftings that God has placed in our local body and in the global body. There are so many other strains 
of Christianity that we have to learn from. And from Craig, who works at Lakewood, for Joel Olstein, I learned so much from him that week. Um, that was the most profound talk I had and probably the closest friendship I formed through that week. Um, and it was a great blessing. And I'm thankful that God got my attention on that issue. So, let's sing about living in this presence of God. We will sing together as separate people, united in our faith. <laughs>